Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. This weekend is about remembering, about memory. And in line with memory, I need to confess that I had what some of you would call a senior moment recently. I call them 52 moments because I'm still 52 and I'm not a senior citizen, although AARP has been trying to convince me that I am for the better part of a decade. I don't know what's with those folks. Uh, I'm convinced that senior citizenry starts at age 84, and so I'm just going to stick with that. Right now, these are 52 moments. Some of you may know that a very generous uh, family in our church gave me Braves tickets. They gave me Braves tickets last year, and they gave me Braves tickets this year. Uh, Two seats to uh, the games, and uh, I give away a lot of them because I can't go to all those games. But the ones I go to, Amanda will go to some of them with me, three, four, or five. That's about all she can stand, and then we go, and she's ready to go in the seventh inning. And I said, honey, Craig Kimbrell comes out in the ninth. She said, seventh inning is all she wrote, brother. And so, you know, we got those. And so a lot of times I will invite somebody to go with me. Some of you went with me to games last year. And Well, about four weeks ago, Mike Gibson was scheduled to go with me to a Braves game. Um. It was on, a, I think, a Monday night. I can't remember exactly what day it was. And so I told him, I said, Mike, get ready. I'll come by and pick you up around 6, 6.15. The game starts at 7.10. And, uh, you know, Mike is the type. Now, you know, you, you have to get him ready for a ball game. And when you pick him up, if he goes with you, he has this Braves jersey on that nobody's ever seen nor worn before in the history of the, of the Braves whether Boston, Milwaukee, or Atlanta, and he has a cap. I mean, he, he really puts on the show. And so it takes him some time to get all of that ready. And so I, I was at the church that Monday, and I, I went home uh, a little after 5 o'clock to eat supper and, and uh, got up from supper and went over to my little tablet that has my Braves tickets, and the tickets for that game were gone. I had given them away to somebody else. And I had the embarrassing moment of calling Mike. I'm sure he already had his cap and his jersey on, saying, Mike, I'm sorry, but I gave away those tickets and totally forgot it. It was a senior moment. I'd love to say it was the only time that's happened. Last year it happened when Irv Carter was supposed to go with me. And uh, it happened only one time that year, last year, and then this one time this year. Well, this past week, Bobby Braun was supposed to go with me to a Braves game on Wednesday. 7:10 game. I told Bobby, I said, I'm going to lead prayer meeting, and then I'll leave from prayer meeting, and I'll go to Turner Field. And he said, well, I'm working at Georgia Tech. You know, he's a professor of uh, aeronautical engineering there. He said, I'll leave Georgia Tech and meet you there about 7:15." I said, that'll be great. So that was the plan, right? And so 1.30, 1.30 Wednesday afternoon, I'm sitting in Judy's office helping her with some cute computer stuff. When Chris Gould comes walking in, he says, I don't know what they're going to do with Evan Gaddis. He just hit a grand slam, and it is eight to nothing. I said, what? He said, it is eight to nothing. I said, they're playing right now? He said, it is eight to nothing. Then he stops and looks at me, and he says, when did you think they were playing? Tonight? So I had to go through the embarrassing experience of calling Bobby Braun, of course, he, I have to talk to his voicemail, 
And, uh, and I don't know if he, what time he gets his voicemail. I'm afraid he's going to get it uh, sometime later, late that evening, and he's going to try to meet me at Turner Field at 7.15, and he's going to get there, and nobody's going to be there, and I'm not going to be there. So then I decided after I left him a voicemail, I sent him a text message, and he sent a response back to me and says, no problem. And five minutes later, he sends another response, says, this is kind of funny. 52 moments. Normally when we think about a senior moment, we're thinking about a lapse of memory. If you're a senior adult who struggles with memory seriously, or the child of a senior adult who does, it's it's certainly no laughing matter at all. But a lot of times we do joke about it. You probably heard about the uh, man in his 80s who went to his doctor and he sat down for his checkup and he said, uh, he said, Doc, I, I, I've, I've got some real problems. I'm getting really forgetful. And the doc says, well, tell me what's going on. He says, well, he said, a lot of times I, I don't remember where I put my keys. And he said, if I do remember where my keys are and get in my car to go somewhere, I'm in my car on the way to somewhere and I forget where I'm going. And he says, if I remember where I'm going, and it's usually a store that my wife has sent me to for something that she wants me to pick up, I'll get to the, to the store and forget what it was she told me to pick up. And he says, if I happen to remember what it was she told me to pick up, I'll pick it up off the shelf. And he says, I'll forget to pay for it. What do you think I need to do? And the doctor says, I think you need to pay me in advance. That's what I think you need to do. Remembering. Acts chapter 20 is a chapter in which the Apostle Paul calls the leaders of the church at Ephesus to meet him as he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he knows these guys very well. He pastored their church for over three years, which was really a long time for Paul. He meets with them and he gives them a farewell address. And in that farewell address... He urges them to remember. Acts 20, beginning with verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia? I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents." You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. 
Now I commit you to God and the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember the words, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. I've been overhearing a lot of you over the past week. I know you didn't think anybody was eavesdropping on your conversations, but I have. I've been listening, and I've been hearing a lot of people remembering this week. This weekend is a weekend in which we pause to remember the men and women who have given their lives in defense of our country. 1,303,000 plus men and women over the course of our nation's history. That's 44 times the population of Noonan, Georgia. And we remember them. I remember... Back in 2011, when we said goodbye to Betsy Ware, for those of you who remember, a longtime member of our church, Betsy, hard to forget, unique personality. The obituary for Betsy said this, quote, Mrs. Betsy Anderson Ware of Palmetto passed away on October the 15th, 2011. Mrs. Ware was a member of Palmetto Baptist Church and a former member of Oakland City Baptist Church in Atlanta. She was preceded in death by her husband, the Lynn Ware, and a grandson, U.S. Navy Corpsman and U.S. Marine Field Medic Dustin Burnett, who was killed in action in Iraq. Remembering. I've overheard a lot of parents this week. Remembering. Parents whose children were graduating either from high school or college. I remember those days of our kids graduating from high school. It was a bittersweet time for me, i got to tell you. I was rejoicing over the fact they were graduating and wishing they were three again, all at the same time. I heard some parents say some really wonderful things. Uh, There's a lady, a young lady who's a mother in our church, and she said this. I noticed on her Facebook post, she said, This school year truly was a special journey for Lydia. That's her little girl. She's having a hard time with school being over and has cried many times this afternoon since school let out. Can you imagine that? Most kids are thrilled to be out. This Lydia was crying because it was out. She said, Ms. Holland, her teacher, truly created a class family that Lydia will always, here it is, remember. (laughs) Lydia loves you, Ms. Holland, and you will always have a special place in her heart. And thank you for teaching me also to, quote, just breathe and be still, unquote. Remembering. I noticed some of those parents who were remembering their graduates And interspersed in their statements of pride. I'm so proud of you, son, for what you've done to graduate. I'm so proud of you, my little girl. But interspersed in those, I saw from time to time, 
Where has the time gone? I used to run behind you in Little League Baseball telling you when you hit that little ball from home plate, not quite to the pitcher's mound, run to first base, not third base, first base. Where has the time gone? Remembering. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is remembering. This is his last time to see these guys. He loves them. He has invested over three years of his life with them, for them, sacrificing his life at times. And he knows this is going to be the last time that he sees them, they see him, and he wants them to remember because he's, he's so well aware, being the wise man that he is, that human nature is such that we all are inclined to not remember but to forget. And so here in this farewell address, he urges them to remember. After all, this is the same group to whom he wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And here's what he said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Remembrance. And so what I see in this farewell address are some things that you and I and they needed and need to remember. Let me share five things we need to remember. First of all, we need to remember the character by which Christ has called us to live. I am afraid, now I may be a pessimist about this, but I am afraid that character is in short supply these days. And we need, especially those of us who are Christians, we have been born again, we are followers of Christ, we bear the mark of His salvation, His blood on our very heart and souls. We need to be people who emulate the very character of Jesus. What was the character of Jesus? Was it obnoxiousness? Was it arrogance? Was it uh, a, 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 an, an opinion that... Uh, He refused to let go of even though it might be wrong. Was it anger, quick anger? Was it uh, pouting? Of course not. It was none of those things. When we think about Jesus, when we read about Jesus, there are certain words that just jump off the page. He was, first of all, compassionate, had compassion. Matthew 9 says he had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He was focused focused on the mission the Heavenly Father had given him. In Luke uh, chapter 9, there's one place where, Jesus, where Luke says about Jesus, from that point on, he steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. He had a mission. He was a man on a mission. He was focused. He was a servant. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when the disciples once again were arguing about which of them was the greatest and which of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, you know, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. He was a servant. Kindness, selflessness, submissiveness to the Father's will. In Gethsemane, just hours before he'd be crucified, in the darkness of night, he prays, oh, my Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But... Let what you want be done, not what I want to be done, Matthew 26. He was merciful, forgiving. One of the last statements he makes on the cross, one of seven last statements recorded from his voice on the cross was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He forgives people who, number one, didn't even realize they were doing wrong. And if they did, they didn't acknowledge it, and yet he still forgave them. Loving in his relationships, good, caring, honest, 
truthful, peaceable, a strong but quiet leader and patient. These are the character traits of Jesus and they must be the character traits of people who follow Jesus. Remember the character by which Christ has called us to live. Number two, remember those who have invested in your life. Remember those who have invested in your life. If you have a sheet of paper and a pencil, I want you to write write a sentence down. Are you ready? Get your pencil and paper. Go ahead. If you don't have pencil and paper, get ready to remember this in your mind, okay? I want you to remember it. If you're not going to write it down, I want you to remember it. Here's the statement. Write this down. Of all the people I have known, of all the people I have known, Of all the people I have known outside my own family. Outside of my own family. Of all the people I've ever known outside my own family. I most desire to be like. I most desire to be like. And then just put a blank space after that. A blank space. Of all the people I've known outside of my family. You know the reason I said outside of your family? Because you have a twisted perception of your family. That's why. And I do too. I'm not accusing you of something. I don't. You have a twisted perception of my family. Some of you think some members of your family walk on water and they don't. Same with me, by the way. So, of all the people you've known outside of your family... You most desire to be like, and there's a blank line there. I want you to write a name there. Of all the people I've known outside of my family, I most desire to be like, and in that blank, write the name of a person. Write it. If you're not physically writing it, put it in your mind. Just stamp it right there. Type it right there on the forefront of your mind. You got it? Do you have it? If you have it, nod. Do you have it? Of all the people I've known in my life, outside of my family, I most desire to be like. Now get ready. I want two women and then two men simply to tell me the name, okay? Tell me the name. Say it loud so I can hear it. I don't hear well. I got hearing aids. Remember, I'm 52. All right? I want two women and two men just to give me the name that you put in there. Just two women and two men. Let's start with the women. Any woman right now. Miss Oliver. All right. Sunday school teacher. Thank you, Hilda. Virginia Munn. Miss Oliver, Virginia Munn. All right, let's have two men. Two men, quickly. Broadus Bradley. Thanks, Merle. One more man. Earth to men. Charles Jackson. Thank you, Eric. Of all the people I've known outside of my family, I most desire to be like, and whatever that name is that you wrote down there, remember the people whose names could be put in that blank. They invested in your life. You are better because of it. Third, remember the times when you were wrong. You know, in this farewell address, 
Paul does not mention the wrongs that he's committed, nor the wrongs that the Ephesian elders have committed, but he could have. One of the mistakes that we make in reading the Pauline epistles, the letters written by Paul, is some, for some reason we believe that because he is the, quote, Apostle Paul, that he somehow has the biological DNA and spiritual DNA of Jesus, and therefore Paul never made a mistake. That belief is a mistake. Paul did make mistakes. He put his britches on one leg at a time, and there were some Sunday mornings when he went to get his britches, and he put one leg in and put the other leg in, only to find that both legs were in the same britch. Paul made mistakes. We need to remember the times in our lives when we were wrong, but especially those times when back when we were wrong, we thought for sure we were right. We were absolutely certain, obnoxiously certain that we were right. Only to find out maybe years later how wrong we were. We need to remember that because it humbles us. It humbles us because now when we think we're so right about something, about an opinion or a viewpoint we have, when we look back to those times when we now know that we were wrong, it helps us to realize, hey, I really feel certain I'm right about this right here right now, but... I felt that same way 10 years ago on this particular issue and I only found out too late that I was wrong. We need to be more humble, I believe. And one of the ways you do that is remember when you were wrong. Number four, remember the purpose of the church. Now this is something that is scattered throughout this farewell address. Paul talks about, you know how I preached the gospel to you. You know how I preached only that which was helpful to you. You know that I proclaimed the will of God to you. You know that I continually told Jews and Greeks, that'd be everybody, that they must repent in order to get this salvation. All of that is the gospel. It is the purpose of the church to reach out and win people to Christ and to help people. That is, in a nutshell, the purpose, God's purpose for the church. The problem in our day is that you and I tend to get away from God's purpose and we replace His purpose with our preferences. What we want, what, the, what we want the church to do for me, for us, for my family, for my children, for my grandchildren. And all of a sudden, those good things that we want the church to be for our grandchildren take the place of what God has called the church to be. And all of that for our grandchildren, our children, and our families is fine as long as it does not contradict what God wants to do in the church itself. If I want something for my own family out of this church that hinders this church from being positioned where it can reach the most people, my friend, I don't care how good it is, that I, what it is that I want for my family out of this church, it is wrong. The purpose of this church is to reach as many people as we can for Christ. That's the reason why I'm so in favor of the relocation of our church. I know, regardless of what plan we end up with down there, I know that down there we will be better located to reach people than we are here. I know 
that we'll have a much more efficient facility, a newer facility, a more attractive facility, a facility that better meets the needs of all the ministries of our church, and a facility that parents will gladly bring their young children to that will be safe and attractive and will be appealing in a number of great ways. A number of things that would be true down there that we don't have here. As much as I love this facility. This facility needs some major upgrades. I don't know if you realize that. We have a children's department that is dated at best. We can put paint on it, but friends, let me tell you something. You can put paint on an old mule and it's still an old mule. You got pews that if you sit there long enough and you, you go to sit up, your shirt will stick to the back of the pew. And if it's a white shirt you got on, You'll try to wash out the stain that's come on and it won't come out. We have senior adult facilities that the senior adults who are honest, especially the newer ones in our church, are telling me they have real trouble getting access into and out of. I know that is true. Now, we can fix all that. We can change the access. We can remodel this whole building. We can totally renovate, tear out and renovate our children's ministry. And we can make that whole thing, this whole place up to par. It'll cost a fortune. And even then, if we remedy all the problems we've got in this facility, there's, there's the main problem that it still doesn't fix. Here it is. Location, location, location. One of the biggest impediments to reaching people in greater numbers than we do, is our location. I know that for uh, people who've been in Palmetto a long time, that's a hard thing to swallow, and maybe you're not swallowing it. That's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. I will tell you, if you just ask around, you'll find out what people think. And the only people who I know of who have told me that we're in a really good location are people who have been in this church over 25 years. And, but let me back up. The majority of those people tell me that we'd be in a better location down there. It's a minority of people who've been here over 25 years who think that, that this is a better location. They just don't get it. Well, why should we stay here? Well, I was, I was raised here. I was baptized here. Um, I was married here. My kids were raised here. They were saved here, baptized here. They were married here. My grandkids. That's wonderful. That's great. That's not the whole purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to, is to in every generation, position our church to the place where we're reaching the most people for Christ. It's not about my sentimental emotions. It's about reaching people, positioning this church to reach the most people. I'm not talking about building a megachurch either. I'm not talking about that. And I'm not talking about building a monument to Jimmy Orr. Listen, if that's what you think I'm about, I will gladly step aside and let some other pastor take you down there. I don't need my name on any of it. Remember the purpose of the church. Every decision this church or any church must make must always, hear this, always be focused on the God's purpose for his church. Not what you want and not what I want. Not our preferences. They are rotten compared to God's purpose. Number five, remember the times when God showed up in your life. 
Because if you remember when he showed up in a crisis in your life back then, then the chances are you'll be more apt to believe he's going to show up in your crisis today. At Ephesus, God showed up for Paul. At Ephesus, God showed up for those people in, in those Ephesian leaders, and he wanted them to remember it. Every year about this time, our students and our children get ready for camp, student camp, children's camp. And every year about this time, invariably, there will be some students who want to go to camp who cannot afford the money that it costs to go to camp. And so we'll send out an email. This past week, I sent out an email. Trevor drafted an email. He sent it to me, and I turned around and sent it to all of you who have email addresses. Some of you have read it. Some of you, you have it in your box. But because you haven't read your email, you haven't read it yet. You'll probably read it this afternoon. I forget what day I sent it out. Maybe it was uh, Friday. I don't know. Get this. We needed five scholarships for the student camp. I sent the email out in four minutes. I went back and checked this. In four minutes, I got a response from a young father in Palmetto Baptist Church. And here's what he said. Jimmy, I'll take care of all five. I remember what I got out of it when I went. You know what he was saying? I remember that when I was a student at camp, God showed up. And I want our current students to experience that same thing. Remember when God showed up in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, today is a day to remember. I want to read a letter for you. I know that I'm 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 over time. Will you bear with me just long enough to read this letter? Italy, February the 17th, 1944. To the members of Sardis Baptist Church. At last, I am writing a long overdue letter to you. Even though I have not written in the past, you may rest assured that I have not forgotten you. I think of all of you daily, though I am in a theater of operations. As I reach the completion of my third year of service in the great armed forces of our nation, I look back over the pathway that I have traveled. Since I met with you last, I have seen strange lands and strange people. Since leaving for foreign duty on May the 30th, 42, I have had many experiences of all kinds. God has spared my life and brought me safely thus far. Strange as it may sound, war makes men finer and better No man can ever be quite the same. It makes men seek and find God in true religion. If one must travel so far from home, he might as well return a better and wiser man. I can say truthfully that I have gained a great deal of wisdom and I have learned to appreciate more fully the deeper things of life. Never has the presence of God been so real to me as it has been on the battlefield. I have seen horrible things happen, but I have also seen acts of courage, loyalty, and sacrifice. I do not have to be told that I am remembered in your prayers as you gather for services at Sardis from time to time. I am anxiously waiting and praying for the day to come when I will be given the pleasure of being back with you. I feel the best days are ahead. To me, it is an inspiring thought that no matter what our surroundings may be, our lives may shed abroad an influence for good, even in the darkest places. I realize more than ever that the harvest truly is great, but the laborers so few. Since leaving for foreign service, 
We have had church services aboard every ship, though we were in mid-ocean. We were permitted to the pleasure of worshiping God, of which I am indeed grateful. We in foreign service realize and greatly appreciate the wonderful job you on the home front are doing. We will, with the help of God, make the year 44 a decisive, victorious one. May God's richest blessings rest upon you and His peace that passes all understanding abide with you always. A member in foreign service, Marvin B. Galath. That was February the 17th, 1944. Within two and a half months, he was dead. After his death, he was awarded the Distinguished Service Award. The President of the United States takes pride in presenting the Distinguished Service Cross posthumously to Marvin B. Gallat, number 3402561, Staff Sergeant, U.S. Army, for extraordinary heroism in connection with military operations against an armed enemy while serving with the 6th Armored Infantry Battalion, 1st Armored Division, in action against enemy forces on the 30th of May, 1944. Staff Sergeant Galat's intrepid actions, personal bravery, zealous devotion to duty at the cost of his life exemplify the highest traditions of the military forces of the United States and reflect great credit upon himself. General Orders number 153, 1944. Near the place where he was killed, Anzio Beachhead in Italy, there is his grave. And there's a small monument, and it reads, USA, Marvin B. Galat, Staff Sergeant, Company H, 6th Armored Infantry, born June 27, 1917, killed in action, Anzio Beachhead, Italy, May the 30th, 1944. Not far from his grave, by the way, is the grave of another Palmettoan, Willis Johnston, whose B-25 was shot down also in 1944. Willis Johnston could not drive an automobile, but he could fly a B-25. Remembering is a gift from God, isn't it? And we need to use it wisely. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of memory. We thank you for the things that we've experienced that you help us to remember. We also thank you for informing us of people, events that we were not aware of, but we needed to be aware of and remember. Today we remember those who give, gave their lives. Marvin Gallat, Willis Johnston. Today we remember those who invested in our lives. Today we remember the times when we were wrong. We remember what you've called the church to do and be. We remember the character that you exemplified in your own life and you call us to. For someone here this morning during this invitation, I pray 
for salvation. I pray that someone who has never invited you to be their Savior would come to the front and say, hey, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. Pray with me to do that. Because, Lord, I'd love for today to be a day that person or persons remember for the rest of their lives. We thank you for memory that we can remember today. In Jesus' name, amen.